everybody. Theoretically, we are live on the internet. Um, it is uh, once again a we are absent our Romanian contingent um, due to Alina falling off of a dragon. Uh, they're no longer as ill as they were, <laughs> though I believe there's uh, still a bit of illness being fought. Um, but they, uh, Alina broke her leg. Uh, she's in like today <laughs> broke her leg. So, uh, she, yeah, like this morning, right? Something she, like that. Right. Yeah. Cause you know, they're, I don't know, uh, what is it? Seven hours ahead of, of me, seven hours ahead of central, something like that. I think so. Um, yeah. So yeah, she was like apparently out for a jog or something and then got, Assailed by bikers was that the story that? Yeah, that's um, that's the story that uh, I'm sticking to because never let the truth get in the way of a good story. See, here's how here's what happened. Yes, Malahoki. <laughs> She's Romanian, so of course she has to have the evil eye. Um, no, it was a uh, she was sitting there on on a on a red and white checked blanket in the park, having her picnic lunch, when uh, up roars this gang of two dozen Hungarian bikers, tattooed thugs of the worst description. So she calmly put down her egg and watercraft sandwich and uh, walked over to them calmly, went up to the biggest, baddest-looking one in the bunch, who was apparently a um, well-known to Europol as a drug trafficker and murderer, and just slapped him right across the face. And uh, 30 seconds later, after he reached into his saddlebags for a spiked chain, and all kinds of epic kung fu stuff happened, all of the bikers are lying on the ground unconscious, and she had made a Viking funeral pyre out of their machines and set it alight. And the last one, as he was trying to run, she kicked in the fork so hard, she broke her leg in three places. Yep. And at least... Four of the words in that story are true. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, we make up stories. It's it's what we do, right? Right. So that so that was our that was our uh, our our substitute entertainment. Um, As normally, we would be uh, running our game this morning, but due to injury, we're not going to be able to. Uh, However, uh, Bob and I do have a lot of Eberron stuff to talk about. Um, Yeah, some of it. Uh, germane to the campaign, some of it not directly, um, but still will be affecting it, I guess, kind of. Um, so, Bob, you've been working like a madman over at the guild, yeah. uh, getting stuff cooking and out the door for Eberron. So, oh yeah. Well, well I mean, so so have you. You and you and Chris Waltz did the one slingers thing, which is awesome. That hit silver already, right? It did hit silver already, which is super cool. Um, the virtue of being affordable, I suppose. It's uh, the one slingers guide for Eberron. It's a dollar right now, and Chris actually just sent me. Right now, it contains um, a subclass for the fighter and a subclass for the rogue. Okay. Um, and our, our design concept was, you know, taking the ideas that Keith Baker put forward in, in uh, the Wayfinder's Guide about having people who are trained in just like limited magical use with specifically with wands. Sure. Uh, so building those out as kind of an alternate for the Eldritch Knight and the Arcane Trickster. 
Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's so a great idea. I thought it, I thought it worked out pretty well so far. The feedback has largely been good. Um, I also we also put in a couple of uh, feats. There's one particular because in my mind, uh, one of the coolest mental images you can sort of conjure with wand fighting is like one person shoots their wand and then the other person like blocks the wand with what they're shooting. So we actually put in a feat that allows you to like parry ranged attacks and spells with a wand. <laughs> That's so, cool. Yeah, you have to like make a, um, you basically like attack their attack roll. Right, right. Um, like a counter spell, but using the wand, using the power of the wand instead. Right. And you have to, it's got a, It's got some limitations on it. Like it has to be something that only targets one person. So no, right. no blasting a fireball out of the air with your wand. You know, right, your wand right. of magic missile or something. Um, you know. <laughs> that would be a bit, just a bit. But um, but it just it was a cool thing that uh, an opportunity that I saw, um, where the system doesn't really have any mechanisms in place to reflect sort of a trope that you see in fantasy. You know, I mean, yeah, that that's one of the reasons why I came up with a lot of what I've come up with is that because I did a thing that I released last week which was magic items and uh, magic item creation stuff. Because I think one thing, one of the reasons why I'm frankly surprised they went with Eberron is that the 5e magic item system, you know, the way 5e approaches magic items with bounded accuracy kind of goes against uh, the uh, a core assumption of Eberron, which is that magic suffuses everything right you know you where um like in in, in Faerun, in the forgotten realms the, the 5e magic item system makes perfect sense you know nobody's making magic items anymore right. anything you find is from the netherese or something like that and it's god knows how many millennia old right down to your you know plus one ring of protection or something where in Eberron, if you're going to be true to Eberron, I, you know, having this cottage industry almost of creating magic items, but you know, it, well, let, let's uh, the, the 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 thing that I the, the the analogy I used in what I released this morning, which is just for artificers, you know, it's artificer spells, some new alchemical formulae to uh, beef up what's in the um, unearth arcana play test. Okay. And a new, a new specialty, a new uh, archetype for ar artificer, um, that is kind of different. Um, the idea there is that you know these it, magic is where, where in in the Forgotten Realms you could go to level twenty without ever seeing a plus one weapon. Right. In in Eberron, you the, the metaphor I used in Eberron, you pick up a plus one weapon and go, meh, chuck it in the bag. Of Right, like the the city guard are carrying plus one weapons. That's, right, that's not unusual. And right, the the rarities kind of go out the window when you've got House Caneth manufacturing stuff, you know, on the daily. Well, right, you've got a setting that Im includes like schema or a central part of the setting, central part right. of this campaign in a big way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh yeah. And, and the idea is is that it, it permits you to. Um, to mass produce magic items, yeah. So, and, and the place I mean, that, where I, that's a thing that uh, that I'm going to contradict you one place in terms <laughs> of 
Sure. Mass produced is a dangerous term, I think, in Eberron, because it implies like uh, assembly line, like Ford is cranking out um, those carts that have Earth elementals bound to them that right. let you. They're basically the four by four, the Land Rover of Eberron, right? No one's doing that. Right, right, right. Everything is still very much a cottage industry craftsman cranking out this stuff. Right, right. Though, um, I mean, to a degree, House Caneth does that with smaller items. So you're not going to see the way I would interpret it. And by all means, uh, you know, if Keith Baker contradicts it, I will I will change my interpretation because it's his baby. But uh, uh, the way I interpret it to work is that your your commons and probably a lot of what would be considered like uh, uncommon in Forgotten Realms, that stuff is generally being just pumped out by House Caneth. Oh yeah, um, they yeah. have common. I think common in Eberron means precisely that. Right, like like Joe on the street is carrying something, probably a common magic item. Um, yeah, and so those are are relatively easy to get your hands on. Now, once you start getting into those higher rarities, because one of the things that uh, Keith Baker talked about, I think they, there was a video that D&D Beyond did when they were doing um, the rollout. And he's talked about this before too, but uh, Eberron is a, is a place of wide magic, not high magic. Um, right. Hardly anyone, I think that was Dragon Talk. Yeah, hardly anybody yeah. knows Wish. That's not a spell you encounter. Right. Um, yeah, resurrection is rare. Right, right. These things yeah. are difficult to come by. So you have, I think, whereas in the Forgotten Realms, um, which also does, from when you're looking at it from a system perspective, uh, melds well with bounded accuracy. Yeah. Um, you start encountering these things of higher rarity uh, as you progress in level, and it's pretty much like you can you can divide up your levels based on what kind of magic items you're going to run into yeah you know you can expect it at level 15 that you're running into you know very rares and things along those lines uh, one thing know. i noticed from looking at the pe- the old stuff i think that ties into this because i've been pulling i've been pulling almost everything from 3.5 and uh some lore from 4e but all the practical stuff like the spells and magic items i've been converting have come from the 3.5 books and looking at some of the the lore stuff like City of Stormreach. I've right. been mining that for what I'm coming out with next week, which ties into calculated risks in Eberron <laughs> Adventure because it's called Gurius's Guide to Stormreach. Um, one of the things I noticed is that uh, looking at NPCs, you know, uh, the the big bad guys, the leaders of the various gangs and factions in Stormreach. I'm hard pressed to think of one that's tenth level or above. Yeah, no, the I mean, if you look 789, at seven eight nine, yeah, right. If you but, look at the uh, the three point five book, um, the Eberron core book, it's got stats for the Lord of Blades in there, and he's like ninth level or some shit. Yeah, like, that. like it's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's really um, aimed a setting that's aimed towards uh, the people that are generally the movers and shakers are about midway through the um what's considered i guess now the 5e level progression 
yeah. um, and about a third of the way between kind of the assumed level pro progression of 3.5 because 3.5 really seemed to be built on you're gonna play out to level 30 like with, yeah, with, think, with the way yeah. that uh, prestige classes and all that shit worked yeah so um, so really they're it's primed for the player characters to be these epic heroes who rise above and beyond the establishment. Um, yep. And the level progression is different uh, in 5e. Uh, the yeah. assumptions are different. And mm -hmm. I think, like, as I'm statting things out for this game even, I'm just trying to, um, I guess... Forget what I know about the way that Ebron, Ebron was designed for 3.5 in terms of the NPC power levels and things like that, yeah. and just run it off of the power levels that we have. But try to try to keep that flavor, which I think sure. is easily doable. Um, but use the 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 five E power scaling. Now, when it comes to magic items, my thinking on it is to represent that gulf. Uh, well, there's two ways to go about it. You can represent the gulf in-game, right? So uh, whenever, whenever you're looking at designing an adventure for Eberron or looking at, um, you know, just just handing out treasure for an existing adventure, you grab, you know, uh, Tomb of Annihilation, you're going to run it in Eberron. When you're handing out that, that stuff, you can sort of swap out the magic item tables you're referring to, right? And, yeah. and give out lower power items or you can which then enforces that gap or you can do um, you know what I do in this game which is largely ignore that gap when it comes to PCs so like you guys get the cool stuff because you're the big heroes you know what I mean and, yeah. and that way I think um, I think you can convey the world and have sort of the NPCs and the people you interact with and the, the things that you uh, encounter be largely within that wide magic scheme. But then one more thing that makes you special is that you're closer to the high magic end of things. If that yeah, doesn't yeah. sound too rambling, it makes sense. No, it, it actually does make sense. I mean, it, it, one of the things that surprised me when I was digging back through the lore, because like I told you when we first started with Calculated Risks, my main source of knowledge about Eberron was Dungeons and Dragons Online, right? MMO. Um, and I, you know, I, I'd collected some of the lore books um, because the 3.5 stuff was going cheap. And I just wanted, I, I like to be grounded in the lore of whenever I'm, I, I just find it interesting. And one of the things I found really interesting was like House Jurasco. And uh, it, the way they don't, you're not going to go into a house, it, they're known for healing, right? It's what they do. It's their dragon mark. Right. But you walk into a house, Jurasco house of healing, and it's not like they're going to be casting heal on you. Right. Or even, you know, cure wounds at third level. Now they're going to be putting on herbal poultices and, you know, it, treating you with non-magic stuff. Right. And then that'll be supplemented with a bit of uh, yeah. 
your lower level magics, your yeah, lesser um, restoration, your cure wounds up to a certain point. Um, but yeah, it, it's not. It's you're not going to be getting these massive like resurrection. You could probably find right, but not even. Not, I mean, it says specifically, as I recall, in the City of Stormreach book, not to expect that right out of the Jurassic healers. Right. No, and that's something where you're going to wind up. You know looking at paying through the Buku. nose to Buku. get you know to get like a silver flame cleric or some shit like that to, to do yeah. for it. Um, yeah exactly you know or there's your quest chain for the next 10 sessions is we need to now that the silver flame saved my friend i have to go fight 20 demons that it wants me to get rid of i guess we're going to be spending the next 10 sessions in kyber you know yeah exactly right <laughs> yeah so I mean, those yeah, are exactly. And, and again, and I think that you can uh, play somewhat uh, fast and loose with the themes of of that uh, when you're when you're running a campaign that you know you're focused on these people are supposed to be like big heroes. But I also think that Ebron works very well when you're trying to run a grittier street level. Um, you know, campaign to 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 lean into that uh, that difference. Yeah. You know, and and really play that up, play up the idea that you know, if your character learns you know cure wounds and can do it at third level, that's going to make you the healer that everybody comes to. You know what I mean? Yeah. And how does yep. that? And if you you know you could sit down with your character throw up like a, you know, pop-up stand and say, hey, I'm handing out the healings for, you know, 50 gold apiece. Yeah, and, and then it, how that intersects with the existing power structures right. in the place in the place you are. Like, what is House Jurat? I, I, I keep talking about Stormreach because you could fill a book with what I don't know about Sharn. Right. Um, short of what I came up with for Gurius's backstory. Um, and it, yeah, for some reason, yeah, Corvair just doesn't interest me as much as Zendrick does. Um, but anyway, tangents aside, yeah, you, the intersectionality of okay, so you 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 finally figured out you can cast cure wounds at third level. You set up a a, a stall in the marketplace, and but how is that going to intersect with the existing power structure? Right, exactly. Yeah, you know, House... got the Dragon Mart. Yeah, House House Durasco has should have a lock on this. Right. Are they going to jealously guard their monopoly on healing? What about the Silver Flame folks? You know. Right. And since neither one of those is likely to just show up and like toss your stand, you know what you wind up happening is you know some uh, some person who's been hired, you know some thug yeah. that's been paid in a back alley somewhere behind you know, Phoenix Tavern or something like that shows up <laughs> yeah, exactly. and tosses your stand. And then you got to figure out, well, this wasn't random, you know, or was it, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, or was it? And that, that breeds adventure. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's at the same time, you can access a lot of tropes in Eberron. I mean, because of the different levels of Sharn or the different layers of Stormreach, everything is built on something else going right. back tens of thousands of years like um, spoiler alert if you haven't watched the whole run of calculated risks those steamy tunnels that you sent us through in Sharn you know right. the, the old sewer pipes between um, the cogs 
and the, the lower levels of where were we were we in Memphis for that or Dor- Dorishan was where you guys were uh, ultimately right. went to. okay um, yeah, yeah it, it's it's ru- uh, ruins on top you of can ruins. Go, yeah you you can go through that if you want to set if you want to uh, like what I said about Jurasco and the herbs you want to do something simple with your first your starting out party they see a notice posted on you know nailed to the door of the Jurasco enclave that's looking for they're about to send an expedition out into Zendrick to look for these rare herbs that they need for their business but they need muscle to protect them from I don't know the Sulatar drow right boom there's a tier one adventure idea hell that could be 10 sessions of campaign right yeah I mean you can it's tropey but it's your classic D and D trope, but you can do it in Ebron, right? And you can throw that. You can. There are cool elements to the setting. You can throw that uh, spin at to um, to really capture the flavor of the setting. And and yeah. one of the things I just I want to bring this up before I forget because uh, we were talking about it a little bit earlier with the bounded accuracy and. Um, the differences in the way magic items are available in Eberron, I think it's vitally important as you're running an Eberron campaign, whether or if you're writing something for the DMs Guild, or if you're just planning on playing something for your friends, to keep in mind that that the wide magic stuff applies to the antagonists just as much as it does to the protagonists and uh-huh. therefore it doesn't it's not as damaging to bounded accuracy as it might seem at first at first glance because everyone is carrying it you know it's yeah i mean it okay it bounded accuracy is kind of a hobby horse of mine right <laughs> uh, that is a good way to approach it to about the uh, the top of tier two right right but then you go much beyond that then you then you start to run into the very thing that bounded accuracy accuracy is supposed to prevent right which is that situation where you've got so many modifiers and bonuses and shit stacking up that like there's the the, the, the really key thing that explains bounded accuracy is that thing where uh, you've got so many CR like one eighth, one quarter opponents, even somebody that's twentieth level. Right. Where you can be assured, thanks to bounded accuracy, that a certain number of attacks from that mob are going to land. Right. Okay. When you start to when you really start stacking up a lot of stuff that Eberron can do predicated as it is upon 3.5 you can get to the point that you you end up back at that point at that 3.5 point where you don't like a, a fifth level character doesn't have a prayer of hitting a cr10 monster or a cr1 monster doesn't have a prayer of hitting a level 10 character right and that's, and that's what bounded accuracy i think well i don't think that's what they said was supposed to address Right, and but I think though um, where there's two places where I think that this can be addressed and resolved as long as the DM is paying a modicum or the writer if you're making a supplement for the guild is paying a modicum of attention. 
and where that where that is is because ultimately as it stands i don't think there's a published item that gives you better than a plus three bonus to anything there is not so as long as you stay within that range which is pretty suitable for eberron um yeah. i don't think you're gonna the the biggest concern with the rules as they sit right now in terms of having somebody who's going to rocket through the 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 top of the bounded accuracy uh situation is you might wind up with a warforged juggernaut that just can't be touched by a cr one fourth creature um that's conceivable you know what i mean yeah yeah but it is but that's a that in my mind that's a corner case build and they shouldn't you know like a warforged juggernaut should be able to wade through goblins all day long oh yeah that's what they're built for you know what i mean like It's true. It's true. <laughs> you know, but even then, I think if you max out, because if you max out your, um, what is it? Dexterity constitution? Is that how that works for them? No, it's, I I think, it, uh, hey, I've got D&D Beyond. I can look. Uh, there's <laughs> a, but their their armor class is based off of, an ability score, and then uh, they're, they get to add their proficiency bonus, right? So ultimately, you're getting up into your plus six, um, you know, level 20. Yeah. And let's just take a look here real quick. Yeah, I think I, I saw a corner bill, a corner case build where there was like AC 26, which yeah. is hard. Right, and your average um, Joe is not going to, your, your CR one fourth creature, I guess I should say, is not yeah. going to tag that unless they crit. No. You know what I mean? No. They're just, they're just, yeah, exactly, because, you know, it, it always crits. That's their, that's their hope. Um, so, yeah, you're looking at 16 plus your proficiency bonus. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, so your ability scores don't even play into it. So if you're rocking the heavy-plated armor, um, 16 plus your proficiency bonus. So that's going to bring you up to a 22 um, yeah. at 20th level. And then, you know, you throw a shield on, so 24. Uh, yep. Take the right, if you're a fighter with the right stuff, yeah, 26. I think that's, I think that's really where you're going to peek out. Because you can't really strap on, like, magic armor on top of that. Maybe throw a cloak of protection on or something like that. So 27, yeah, 28. Yeah. Because you know, bounded accuracy. What? How does it go? How does it go? That max is thirty. Maximum ability score of twenty across the board. If, if someone comes to your table with a build with an ability score above twenty and they're not twentieth level, right. something is broken, and you need to get the, the the player to re-examine that character. There's a maximum DC of thirty. A maximum armor class of thirty. These are all theoretically possible. There's a maximum ability bonus of plus five, maximum proficiency bonus of plus six, which means that just naked, without any boosts from magic or anything, the maximum total bonus is plus 11, which means if without rolling a crit, you can hit the maximum, the, 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 the theoretical maximums, maximum, sorry. And that, that's what makes bounded accuracy. Right. And yet, you know, when you start throwing, that's why a plus one magic item is really important, even at 20th level. Right. 
So like yeah, that that's why I don't. When when I'm look when I was make, designing the magic uh, redesigning the magic items that I pulled from the old material for things like the artificer or, or the uh, my my magic items magical things of Eberron book, I concentrated more on like elemental damage or uh, increases in uh, bludgeoning and slashing and all that rather than bonuses to hit. Right. Because while that ups the ante in terms of in-game effect, it doesn't run the risk of negatively impacting bounded accuracy. And I think that keeps that helps to keep the flavor of Eberron as well, your mileage may vary. Right, for sure. Well, and, you know, there are... Um... There are certainly some kinks that are going to need to be worked out, which is part of why it's being released as a playtest. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, especially as people experiment with those higher levels, you know? Yeah. Um, I look forward to users commenting or sending email to me saying, listen, I got your thing and I've been playing it with my 15th level artificer and he's just a god on earth. This shit is broken. Okay, great. Let me go back and revisit that. Right, show me how it's broken, and I'll go back and throw. A really, down yeah. Because I'm waiting for the day when I can go to an Adventurers League game with a Warforged Artificer. There you go. Yeah. Are I mean, you listening, Mike Morales? <laughs> I mean, as soon as they drop a new Artificer, you should be able to, because um, they've got the that uh, uh, AL legal campaign that's coming out from the. Um, Gilded Ups. Did you see that announcement? I did. I, I saw that they were going to be uh, setting um, AL stuff in Eberron. Yeah, there's and, a, there's a, a whole like semi season that the Adepts are putting together. And it's, I I I hope I hope to God they because um, I was talking about this with some AL people, and one thing I don't have a whole lot of faith about is them actually including the artificer and warforged and stuff like and shifters and stuff like that into the the, the Eberron mini thing as like your PHB plus one. Oh yeah. Be it's they're either gonna have to they're either gonna have to waive the PHB plus one for this season or they're going to have to do something else because you you can't if you with the PHB plus one rule in Adventurers League you can't be a Warforged Artificer. Well, if they consider the Artificer to be part of the Wayfinder's guide, then yes. It's still a plus one of the PHB, and you can't have, you can have race and class. Something has to be from the PHB. Oh, I see what you're saying. I don't know, I don't know if that's the case for... Uh, the new AL rules, though. I, think, I haven't delved. I haven't really dug into the season eight update because I know it's. Yeah. I know it's still a PHB plus one situation, but I. I don't know that you can't. I think that that's the total you can access. So if you have a race and a class that are both from the same supplement, I believe I, that's legal now. I could be wrong on that. I could. I'm no expert on it. I probably should be better at it than I am, given as much AL stuff as I do. But um, as I understood it, you couldn't pick like uh, 
what, what, what was the, the playable race for Goblin? That what was, was that in? Volos. That was Volos. Okay. But there was something in, there was some combo in Skag that I can't remember, but like you couldn't be, I'm just going to throw, I'm just going to throw this out and it's wrong, but you know, don't nail me to a cross too badly, Twitter. Um, be like you couldn't be a goblin purple dragon knight. Right, right. Because it's a playable race from, they're both in the same book, but it's the playable race and the archetype from the same book. Hmm. Had to have something, like you could be a human or a half-elf purple dragon knight or a goblin eldritch knight. Yeah, but not like a variant tiefling uh, arcana yeah. domain cleric or something like that. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. I, I could be I could be wrong on this, but I got the impression that that was no longer the case. I, um, I'll, I'll, I can always I can always ping Travis Woodall with that and annoy the crap out of him. Right. Well, and I'll I'll know soon. I'm doing some stuff coming up um, for AL, uh, largely starting doing layouts for. Uh, Roll initiative, and then okay. possibly yeah. doing some writing down the road. Oh, uh, good. So good for you. they have all those process. There, I'll be. Somebody will tell me. I'm sure. Um, that, yeah, that's the, one of the last vestiges of "Don't call us, we'll call you." Yeah, somebody will. Somebody will let me know. Um, but <laughs> uh, but yeah. So the point being, though, is I would imagine even if that's not the normal case, they will, because the whole point of this is to is to field test the, the Eberron rules. Yeah. So I would assume that they would let that go for that. Um, oh, I would hope so. Because you, otherwise you're letting uh, one of the iconic combos out. Of, you, you can't play one of Eberron's iconic combos. Right. And what's the use of that? Which would be which would be weird. Yeah, um, it would be. And it's, it's funny too, like uh, talking about you had said that prior to starting on the campaign, you your main experience with Ebron was uh, through DDO, mine as well. Um, I dove in pretty heavy when I started planning I was going to run a campaign, but prior to that, my only exposure was through DDO, um, which ultimately also has shown its face a couple of times already in this campaign. Um, Rush shrines, <laughs> right? <laughs> I couldn't believe that when you threw that out. Like what? <laughs> All right, I'm not gonna say no. No, and I well, and in my mind, like that's the kind of uh, meeting of video game and tabletop game that is a very Eberron situation. Like, if that was something that could be magically created, someone in Eberron would build that shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Um, you know, and to me, it's just, it's, it, it, it was a, it was a funny little nod to, to DDO, but also, um, and it works. Yeah. Like a cool, like a cool little addition to the system. And, um, I've got some more of that coming up. And if, if everybody that's in Romania would stop just, Fucking stop dying, so we can get. <laughs> Looking at you, Alina. You guys have been riding dragons toward this fucking mountainside for, for a like month. a month. Yeah, it's a long ride. Crestamar, um, flat faster. <laughs> I'm gonna have you guys show up like exhaust, then check for exhaustion. God, that was a long ride. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) But there's some stuff that uh, I've worked into the design uh, for this layer that is is a little bit more of a nod, not only just to DDO, but also to video games in general. Um, there's always a, go left. I'll just remember that for <laughs> coming sessions. Always go left. Well, there's a there's a little uh, item um, because some some mild spoilers both for the the player that's present, though I'm sure you've sussed this out by now, and for the audience. Uh, the place you guys are going is not going to be necessarily the safest place in the planet. And uh, running in the door and trying to punch your way to a solution probably not going to work. Um, <laughs> however, I know how players are, so I built a I built a uh, a device <laughs> that is specifically designed to uh, allow you to learn that lesson naturally if the need arises. Nice. Um, so nice. And resurrection all- shrines are always good too. Resurrection shrines are nice and. Uh, Anu, pick up my soul stone. <laughs> and uh, save points are good, too. Yeah, which um, is one thing you don't have in DDO. You don't have a save point in DDO, but it's because of the... of you have Well, you have your hearthstone, or whatever they call it in uh, DDO, because it's not a hearthstone, because they didn't want to get sued by a while. Um, but you, you can stone back to your, um, your inn or whatever, soul bind. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then um, you can be raised. Yeah, I always end up back on my guild's airship because it's just easier that way. Oh, yeah. No, that's smart. Especially if the pickup group that I'm running is completely ate up like a, like a soup sandwich. I can just stroke death. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Leave party. Goodbye. <laughs> Good luck, guys. <laughs> I haven't played in a long time. I need to hop back on. I was – I don't know – what it was, something made me like really bitter and upset when the new owners took over Didia. Um, oh, Standing Standing Stone's been a hell of a lot more responsive than the other people. Have they? Were. Okay, I don't remember what they I'm did. They did understand. I don't interact with them, so they did something. Oh, maybe it was the way they rolled out Ravenloft or something. But I was just like, I'm not going to give these guys any more money. I got better shit I can do with my time. I haven't bought Ravenloft yet. I I do have a VIP account. I just I've been playing this game since. 2010, 2012, oh, something like that. It's a long time. Just free until like three months ago. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I, what the hell? I now have some, you know, enough disposable income. It's one of the things my DMs Guild income pays for. <laughs> your VIP membership. It's my fourteen ninety five a month for uh, my, my DDO VIP. Nice. And you know, it's it gets they they just come out with White Plume Mountain. Ooh, that's fancy. Yeah, they they're rolling out like against the slave lords they've had for a while, but they're rolling out a bunch of classic stuff. Oh yeah, well and like um you know it was kind of like the uh it was sort of a date night thing me and the messes would do we we would log on and play DDO, and so like we ran um you know they had. Uh, what was it? Uh, Temple of Elemental Evil. Yep. Um, we ran through that. Never could get past Zagat Moy because she's a bitch. Um, <laughs> well, and because it was just the two of us, we didn't have... Like, oh, we, yeah. We were in a guild, but we never did anything with the guild. Um, so we were very reliant on, on hirelings. Mm. Which is another thing I can't... I don't think we've used in this campaign. Um, not re- well. We did one. 
Well, right, but and that wasn't so much a hire. I didn't. I missed an opportunity because. Um, and my. But I'll tell you what, though. I'll tell you what you got right. You got right. The the you you really invoked DDO when this weak ass broke hireling just would rush into battle <laughs> and get his stupid ass killed. Yeah. Yeah. Over and over and over again. And you're burning spells that you should be saving for yourself on the stupid hireling. I had a, um, when I was running my Planescape campaign at home, there was a point where they spent a bit of time traveling back and forth to Ebron. And they bought hireling contracts while they were there. And one of the PCs actually wound up like developing a romantic relationship with one of the hirelings. So he just bought like a stack of her contracts and every time they would expire, he would just burn a new contract. And the way I had it set up was it would summon her to wherever they were. So like they were pulling her into Barovia. They were pulling her into... (laughs) Nice. And ultimately, eventually, uh, I gave them a quest opportunity to like buy out her contract in permanence, so that she would be um, she would be free. But yeah, so there was there was also like this icky sort of pseudo slavery that went on with this hireling contracts. <laughs> but yeah, you it was, so funny. <laughs> yeah, that was so funny. It was a fun story, but um, but yeah, I, I should I should work something like that out because and there's. You know, talk about a, a whole area of stuff that's, unless somebody from the DM's Guild tells me otherwise, now effectively mineable in terms oh, of I content, am. right? You know? I am. Darius's Guide to Stormreach has some Stormreach stuff in it. Right. And I mean, most of it is coming from uh, this edition stuff. But some of the, because it's basically that all the taverns, Right. that I can find that have to do with Stormreach. Taverns, inns, places to eat, things to do. Taverns, inns, and brothels. Right. And if, if it exists in either one of the previous edition source books or in DDO, it's in there. It is. It's awesome. It's just, it is, because why not? And if they tell me, take it out, I'll take it out. Right. I mean, but it's, it's within the IP, so I don't see why it would be a problem. Yeah, I'm um, seeing as how Standing Stone is probably a licensee of Wizards. I, well, of course they are, but it, I don't know who owns the the uh, IP that exists only in the, um, the the game, the video game. But right. sue me. So, like I said, right. <laughs> they're not they're not going to ban me from the guild for mining that. They'll tell me to take it out, and I'll take it out if I have to. Right, right. But in the meantime, hey. Yeah, I mean, and if you want, if you ever want a wealth of um, just like map ideas, you're not going to be able to use a map from there, but you can certainly use a layout from there and make your own map or whatever. You know, oh, yeah. You, like, and nobody, um, nobody does traps like DDO. Like, holy cow, the traps are, are just insane. And I tried to work a little bit of that into how I narrated the traps. You guys oh, yeah. interacted with the last time, like in terms of oh. like the little box that you see over in the corner. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and the the box that disarms the trap is on the other side of the trap. <laughs> I hope you have a high enough dodge or resistance or whatever to get out of the way of the whirling blades or acid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did notice that. 
Well done, indeed. Well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, but I mean, it's a it's a fun it's a fun, rich, cool setting, and there's a lot of. Um, oh, and it's it, it, it's designed so it, it's it's designed like Keith Baker's a genius, and I'm not just sucking up um, because it, Zendrick, right? You've got this continent that the only piece of civilization really is Stormreach mm -hmm. until you get out to like the Drow that are living in their civilizations, whatever giants exist out in the wilds of Zendrick. But that canonically the landscape moves. The landscape moves. Right. So there's no mapping it. Right. That is so brilliant. Because that means that you know, every DM can have his or her own map of Zendrick that, you know, well, let's put these giants over here because it's convenient for my campaign. Let's put these drow over here because it's convenient for my campaign. And this old giant ruin from you know, 10,000 years ago is all the way over here. And, and you don't contradict anything. Right. Which is awesome. I mean, the, like the, the Forgotten Realms, the stuff I write for the realms in uh, for the for the longest time, I was having a devil of a time trying to find some place to put anything. Right. right, because the lore is so damn dense. Yeah, for the realms. and you drill down that you know trying to find a place to put a town that you've made up. Right, is really really hard. But yeah. you know, you start throwing, start slapping shit on on the Zendrick map and. Okay. Well, right. And you have, even on Corvair, you have um, a number of very well-established locations, and that's yeah. fine, but in between them is whatever. Yeah. Yeah, you're meeting dragons. And, and you're not going to contradict or run too hard into anything that is established. But that's also, I mean, you know, the Realms has, what, 36, 37 years of published uh, history where it was Dozens being... of people contributing to the lore, yeah. Right, and it's been active basically the whole time. The realms yeah. never dropped out of uh, out of publication, uh, whereas Eberron did. You know, you had your 3.5 introduction, what, like 2002, something like that? 2000? Yeah, I think so, 2002. And then um, it was very active, and then fourth hit and if I'm not, I, I could be remembering this wrong but I think Ebron was the second or third setting that beyond uh, beyond the core mode um, yeah 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 that it, it was really well supported in fourth I think um, Forgotten Realms came out first and then Ebron and yeah, then Dark Sun is that how that I went? think I think uh, D huh? but, I didn't I didn't really care about anything other than Ebron <laughs> <laughs> But no, it just um, you know, even with that, even with that production schedule, it still is half the time of the realm. Yeah, and I think Keith Baker. I know Keith Baker had his hands in it, deep in it, through yeah. three point five, and I don't know how much involved he was in fourth. Um, I don't know, but I think I fourth in front of me isn't fourth when they dropped the Wizards team down to like. Five fucking people or some shit. There was like yeah. something like that. It wasn't very. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't a whole lot. Yeah, he was on the uh, the campaign guide for fourth. 
James Wyatt, Keith Baker, Arnie Marmwell, and Robert J. Schwalb are the lead, are the designers. Wyatt being the lead designer on the fourth fourth edition Eberron campaign book. And I haven't looked at really any of the fourth edition Eberron stuff at all. Uh, it's mostly lore. Oh, that's, um, that's cool. Which is handy. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a whole lot. It's deep, deep, deep stuff. But well, and it, I'm not that familiar with this. Like, if I if somebody put a gun to my head and told me to run Fourth Edition D and D right now, I would probably die. Um, oh, oh give it, let me go. <laughs> let me go. I, I'm one of the only nerds, one of the only hardcore grognards you're ever gonna meet who will play the crap out of 4E and love every minute of it. That's cool. I just, because I, for the longest, I, 3.5. Mathfinder? If I do, yeah. yeah. If I, <laughs> exactly. It irritated the crap out of me. And 4E is, it's still math, but it's much more easily laid out. Well, the thing I yeah. liked, I've, I've only encountered 4E as a player. And the thing that I enjoyed about playing 4E was once I was done with the Herculean task of making my character, because uh, it's not easy. Now, I'm also a fan of rifts, so it's really hard for character creation to actually make me like irritated. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm, you know what I mean? Like, at this point, if I don't have to fucking yeah. like take a week off to, to make my character, yeah, yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> yeah. I want to run a rifts campaign online at some point, but. There's two things. One, I'm afraid Kevin Ciambato would fucking sue me because that's how he is. And two, um, character creation would, session zero would be like five fucking weeks of a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't played it in years. My friend Adam, I loaned him my source book in like 1998 and I haven't seen it since. And I might be misremembering that. Anyway, <laughs> it I loved I loved the concept. Oh uh, yeah, you can't get a more like awesome heavy metal kind of world. Oh um, yeah, but yeah, the, it's the, just the system behind it is the, the actual mechanics of it makes my head hurt. Yeah, it's weird. But I loved 4E. I mean, at, at, yeah, you need a battle map. Right. You, There's yeah. no theater of the mind in 4E. There just isn't. Right. It doesn't work that uh, way. I mean, you can, but geez, it's hard. The way everything is so keyed to exact distances and lines of sight and stuff like that. I mean, really, really mechanically critical stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it is built to support a miniature-based play. And yeah, um, and when I did play it, I played at Theater of the Mind, and fortunately, our DM was pretty lenient, I guess, which I am too with Theater of the Mind to a degree, because um, I. Since I'm not gonna, have to be. Right, since I'm not going to break out the minis, I'll, I'll err on the side of you can do the thing. Um, but yeah. as a player, it was nice because once you had your shit together, like you never had to look far for anything. You know what I mean? It's just like, here's my cards that have my shit on it. Here are my at-wills. Here are my encounter powers. Here are right. my dailies. Let's go. Yep, and I just I know I know what I can do. It's it, All the rules are right there in a little bit. Yep. Um, it's nice. Now, granted, I still think 5e is superior because of its being a little bit more elegant and a little bit. Hey, you know what? I, I I agree. I think out of all, I've played all of them. 
mm. and 5e is my favorite because it it pulls all the things that I liked about previous editions and it throws away the stuff that I don't. Right. Like right. I I love the ability to be able to tailor my character using different feats and pulling different backgrounds and things in it. And that's cool because, you know, like who needs another human paladin from first edition? Right. Um, being able to really tailor that mechanically, because one of the arguments I used to get into all the time about first, second edition is that, well, you can't really tailor your character with skills and shit like that. You know what? Role play it. Right. You can flavor it the shit out of it. It is a role playing game. And I have those same arguments about 5e with people like, I want a katana. Guess what? You got one. It's called a longsword. Call it whatever the hell you want. Does it do 1d8 slashing? Right. There you go. And, and, well, and that's and that's the thing where um, it's interesting from a designer perspective to look at it, right? Because you have to motivate um, you have to motivate ongoing product. People, yep. people like to, especially like, you know, the folks on, on the Reddit box and all that, like to, uh, you know, talk about how this is about gameplay with your friends. And yes, it is about that, but it's also a fucking business. Um, and if they don't make money, they don't get to keep making games. And you don't get games to play. Right. So you have to have some sort of, <laughs> where do we where do we go from here? Mm -hmm. And I think 5th edition probably my favorite thing about the design of 5th edition is it hit a very cool sweet spot where you can roll out new content all day long without duplicating yourself and without creating actual uh, mechanical swell, right? Because yeah. all, all of your subclasses at the end of the day function the same way. Now you yep. can have, and, and you have a great breadth of freedom to add mechanical swell to your subclass. Yeah. You know what I mean? Without yep. fucking up the way the game works. <laughs> yep. You know what I mean? Yep. So it's, it's, it's good for people like us who like to design things and sell it. Right. Because, you know, we it, it's, it's fairly... I mean, and this is for anyone who's con considering designing content for the guild. She really scratched... Once you think a little beyond the superficial when it comes to looking at things like... Um, uh, subclasses and you start to see what where the similarities are mechanically once you you scrape all of the flavor off and look at the numbers remarkably similar right so just like you can if you want a katana take your longsword and call it a katana 1d6 is 1d6 right you know so if, like that jeremy forbing helped me spot this because the uh, archetype that i have in the product I released today, the, the Artificer specialty is a reworked version of the survivalist Artificer that I put in the Chalt okay. Players collab. Just re I just reflavored it basically for Zendrick because it all mechanically the same thing, but Jeremy helped me to, to figure out looking at the Unearth Arcana Artificer and the things that you could pull out of your alchemist satchel, right? Them do you can pull out some acid. Okay, it does one d six acid damage. Well, when designing the things that you can make as the survivalist, the Zendric survivalist artificer, 
is stuff that is no more powerful than that. It just moves in a different story direction. Right, right. I, and I Jeremy helped me see that and been watching Mike Merle's Happy Fun Hour. Yeah. And he's saying the same things. If you want to design either for money or just for your homebrew game, watching that is a master class in design. Uh, and it's free and it's on Twitch at the D&D channel. Just, yep. just watch. It goes on YouTube in a matter of hours after it's finished. Yeah, just watch Mike Merle's Happy Fun Hour. Oh, it's, God, it's, yeah, it's it, fantastic. It's incredible. Um, but no, the thing I wanted to touch base with you about the um, Artificer, because I, I did a little Artificer thing back when the Artificer first dropped. And I am, it is on my to-do list to revisit this uh, mm-hmm. at least once prior to the new Artificer coming out and probably again afterward. Um, but And I just threw a link up to it in the chat. And your two new products are also in the chat, by the way, and they oh, will be in the you. description. Um, so I was looking at... I hated the way the gunsmith worked, so I just made a new one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I had an issue with the way that the Alchemist worked and it was a similar issue with the gunsmith and it was something I tried to work on with that with this whole like magical generation of like oh look I just make 50 bullets um, like yeah, that struck me as yeah. being a little weird uh, I just have shit in my satchel you know so I added in like foraging rules and like ways to find the to, uh, to pull together the the components you needed sure but then I also made an herbalist uh, artificer which I've had a couple people ask me like that seems like a weird direction to go for an artificer. But I'm like, in my mind, that's exactly where, like, the birth of natural philosophy type of alchemy would come from, right? Like, that's the step between, like, yeah. you know, the, the old woman in the, in the forest gathering herbs and making poultices. Oh, yeah. The leap from that to alchemists, I think. That's, and that's one of the, that's one of the things that this Zendrick survivalist artificer works with you know making things like you you know how to make toxins some right. like rather than having an a flail of alchemist fire that you can pull out of your alchemy bag as an alchemist artificer you know how to harvest various things and you can make toxins right toxic like your simple poison does like 1d4 poison and in, and if they fail a saving throw it impl- it applies a poison condition right right to, the, so. to your enemy there are others, like there's the happy fun juice that basically subjects them to Tosh's uncontrollable hideous laughter. <laughs> nice. There's uh, another one that makes them hallucinate they're covered in spiders. You know, these are all things that I thought were funny, right. but they're also effective. They don't do damage beyond the one point of piercing damage that your blowgun dart does to them to, to inflict the poison in the first place. Right. So... But it 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 put it, you can incapacitate, you can Tasha's uncontrollable hideous laughter, you can un, make them unconscious, right? You can uh, with the same with the same effect as like a sleep spell, you mm-hmm. know. You can make them poisoned. It, it's all subject to a saving throw because they're really really powerful. And this is something that Jeremy and I uh, uh, drilled into and thought about deeply. Because you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna incapacitate an enemy for one minute, right? That's, if they fail their saving throw, that's ten that's, rounds of combat. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. that's huge. Right, right. 
but nothing else that's involved with this artificer can inflict damage. Right, so you're all about passing out conditions effectively. Right. You're right. Pa- you're you're basically yeah, you're passing out conditions so that your fighter can get, you know, can get auto crit or something like that. Right. So and- that that that's that was our our approach to balance with that. Well, I think that's a fun a fun way to look at it. And that's something I look I I'm trying to look at uh, a bit more with subclass design is uh, interacting with those I guess tier two combat situations, right? Because and not not in the sense of levels, but in the sense of the way combat functions. Because you can yeah. run a D and D campaign where everything is just I hit it with my axe and it bleeds. And that's plenty of fun. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you start getting into the, and it's this, it's very simple. Um, when you start getting into the applications of conditions and things along those lines, um, you know, you can uh, really have a lot of fun and add a lot of flavor to your, oh, yeah. to your subclasses. And it also gives you, you know, like it's it's kind of building a little bit of kryptonite into your character, right? So because yeah. like we just, I, I I'm running a Telda Ray campaign. Um, in my Tuesday game, the one that used to be a Planescape campaign. And last week they were fighting, uh, it wasn't anything terribly, it was like zombies. It wasn't anything terribly effective. But for the first time, basically in this campaign that's been running now for three or four months, the monk of the Cobalt Soul Wan T character was comparatively useless in that fight because he's so used to leaning on his ability to deal poison damage and he was fighting zombies that just are immune to it (laughs) so he was like yeah i can still beat the absolute crap out of these guys that's fine but um i can only hit so many you know what i mean (laughs) yeah and he's used to like oh i i poison spray and i get everybody in this area or whatever um you know he's used to whenever there's mobs he just drops the mob yeah but that wasn't working for him. Um, yeah. And it was the most tore up. They, like three weeks prior, they took out a 20th level paladin. The whole group jumped the dude and they were very, you know, tactical and smart about it. But he took more damage fighting uh, the room full of zombies than he took in that fight against the 20th level paladin. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not hard. It, and that, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it's not hard to beat a high Sierra monster if it's alone. Right. That exactly. It, and they were very smart about be smart. <laughs> right. Well, and they were very smart about because he wasn't alone when he first showed up, and they were very smart about like get one dude up in his face to engage him, and then the rest of us are just gonna clear the clear the crowd. Clear the mob. Yeah. Clear the, yeah. clear the, clear yeah. the henchmen. Yeah. And yeah. We'll, we'll just put our tank up front and hope for the best. You know, he can probably <laughs> hope the tank doesn't go down. Yeah. <laughs> You know, but I mean, and and now they're hold my action. <laughs> I'm gonna prepare my action to cast healing word on the tank. Right. Yeah. I mean, and and it's a lot of fun to see because um, this group that I'm playing with in my home game, um, and it, it's also true in this campaign to a degree with uh, with Alina and Mike, uh, especially with Alina because she's literally never played before. Um, it's cool to see the tactical mind start to develop and to see like the idea where, where players get comfortable with like, oh, this is what I can do and this is what my buddy over here can do and this is how the synergy between those two things functions. 
Yeah. Um, that's a lot of fun. And I think that's oh, yeah. a good place to focus attention when you're designing subclasses too, is like, not only like, what does this do that's flavorful and, and interesting for itself within the confines of the existing rules, but how is this going to play when your buddy next to you is a bard? You know what oh, I mean? Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's, it, it, it's, it's a lot of fun too when you're designing encounters. Not really for people like you and I with, with the stuff we publish on the guild, but for stuff you're designing for your home team. Like if you know like you're the, the monk that deals poison damage, especially if there's no, no cleric in the group that can channel divinity to turn undead. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Bring on your horde. I will be throwing hordes and hordes and hordes of zombies and skeletons at you, and I will probably TPK you. Right. Because you're just not prepared for that stuff. Right. And that, if you really want to challenge them, just wave after wave of low CR creatures. Let that bound. Let them bounce off the top of bounded accuracy. Yeah. And next thing you know, you've got your tier three characters on the ropes with skeletons and zombies. Because, you know, this is stuff that someone who can, like a cleric that can channel divinity and turn undead, will just blow them all to pieces, vaporize them instantly. But if you don't have one of those. Exactly. And our, our party makeup uh, in this game just happens to be um, we've got basically a bard and a druid are our healers. So yeah. there's not there's not a cleric in the party. That's that's my home table too. There's a bard <laughs> and a druid. There's yeah, there's no cleric in the party. Uh, two of the party are blood hunters, so they're walking into every fight <laughs> taking damage effectively, nice. right? Like I mean, yeah. the first first thing they're doing is, oh, I'm gonna take some I'm gonna take some damage. And nice. uh, one of them is playing the um, Order of the Sanguine uh, Sanguine Soul or whatever it was I created. I'll have to uh, look it I up. Don't I don't remember what the name of it is. It's one that I made, too. Um, oh, hey, can, can we pause this for just a second? Can you ramble for a few minutes? Yeah. I got, yeah, I got, I got a doggy who's pacing here and needs to go out. Well, you uh, you take care of your dog, and I will ramble for a moment. I'll be right back. So I'm looking up this order that I created and forgot the name of. Um And I am playtesting it. No, oh, it's Order of the Dark Draft. I don't know why I thought Sanguine anything. Uh, but anyways, I'm playtesting it in my home campaign. Um, and it's been a lot of fun. I've actually put out a version 1.1 update as a result of the playtest because we found that it was running a little bit too powerful um and that one right there is uh actually pay what you want so go check it out pick it up uh you can leave a tip if you like it if you don't like it you can not enjoy it silently no let me know if there's something that's broken in it uh tell me because that's that's what we do we update things you know it's one of the benefits of publishing on the guild is actually that you can go in and you can have something that interacts with the audience, see what the audience <clears throat> has in terms of feedback for you, and then incorporate that feedback right into it. It's a, it's a little bit of freedom that we get on the guild that Wizards doesn't have to that degree, right? Because they don't have the responsiveness. So if you see something, you buy a subclass, 
excuse me, or an adventure from the DMs Guild. You pick it up, you bring it to your table, something doesn't work as intended. Something breaks, something falls apart. Uh, you get into the subclass and it doesn't function. Uh, one of the abilities is broken or there's a typo. You can send, uh, you can just put a comment right there on the page and I promise you the writer's gonna see it because we, we watch those things, we get notifications. Uh, Are we talking about feedback? Yeah, just, yeah. you know, if, if you come across something that, because, you, you know, modules, stories don't survive contact with players. And sometimes design that you think is solid and that you run through on your side and, you, okay, yeah, this is fine. Well, I didn't think about when they go to fight, um, you know, a vampire lord because I don't run games that have them. Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> like stuff like like that kind of interaction uh, yeah. you only will find through contact with the wild. And I was just remarking on how wizards can respond to that, but they can do it very slowly when it comes yeah. to like their print books and stuff like that. We are nimble. Right. We have the ability to, you know, somebody shoots me a note on DMs Guild, depending on what I'm doing that day, they might have an updated subclass that day. Yeah. You know what I mean? If they're like, oh, this thing is just broken. <laughs> oh, well, let me... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it, I got some feedback about that artificer, and you know, everybody was like, "Oh my God, those effects of the toxins are so powerful." I'm like, "Yeah, but you know, if that you can just drop a dragon with one blowgun dart." Yeah, one blowgun dart that has to hit a dragon that has to choose to fail its saving throw. Right. <laughs> and a DM that's stupid enough to have a BBEG that doesn't have any henchmen. Right, those are that's that's a lot of things. Yeah, okay, it's really powerful against the solo bad guy. You're right, you got me. Right, but, but you know, virtually everything is. Um, you know, it, yeah, it, it's not hard to not be. But no, the thing I was saying before you had to hop up was yeah. uh, the Order of the Dark Draft. That's what it's called. Oh, okay. The uh, I added in a mechanic because of playtest feedback because it's built around you know you're using the Blood Hunter magic to. Uh, take on a level of vampirism. You basically become Blade. You're a daywalker. Um, nice. You know, so you get things like you know. Do I get third... the cool haircut too. What's that? Do I get the cool haircut too? Uh, most of them do, but not all of nice. them. It's, it's, okay. a, it's a choice. It's it's a flavor thing. But um, <laughs> you start off like third level. You're uh, you're pulling resistances to you know your bludgeoning, slashing, all that from non-magical weapons. And a lot of people were like, that's really powerful. And I'm like, yeah, it is. But, you know, you're also, this power is coming at a cost, right? You have to, yeah. um, you know, you're hungry for blood. You have all the other blood hunter things. But... What well, is barbarian? Right. Right. I mean, rage, rage gets the same thing. Yeah. And by that logic, barbarian is irrevocably broken, too. Right. Well, and I think part of it also couples with the fact that I think at, like, 10th level, if I'm not, I might be misremembering this, but I think it's at 10th level, you get a, a legendary save. Um, every, you know, and, and you, so, and then you, as you go on, you get these, like, it, the, they're capstone. Okay, a halfling barbarian. You get that at level two. Right. Exactly. Come on, you do. Right. <laughs> How are you mixing it together? But I these did. Object, these objections are, are valid, but not. Right. There's a, way to, <laughs> there's a way to achieve these same levels of powers with a different build. And then yeah, yeah. the big one is that their capstone is they get a legendary action. Um, I mean, and that's, that's, cool. that's no slouch, but you're also 18th level. 
You know what yeah. I mean? And and their legendary action is pretty. Le- I think it's bite or move, are their le- legendary actions. You know what I mean? So it's not like I'm gonna use my legendary we'll action. We pursue that single class build all the way to that point. Right. <laughs> and their bites dope. Like they get to get temporary hit points from their bite, and it does necrotic damage. And I mean, it's a vampire bite. But again, you know, you also you have to grab them. So really, the function of having the bite as a legendary action is so that I, I can bite somebody in one turn, as opposed to the two turns it takes me to do it normally. You right. know, yeah. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? That's fair. That's fair. really what it's there for. But anyway, after all this feedback, I was like, you know what? Let's add in a sunlight sensitivity mechanic, right? Because I think that's probably fair, and it's on it's on brand for the subclass. So um, the way it works now is that if your hit points are beneath your natural maximum and you do not have any temporary hit points, you suffer sunlight sensitivity as if you were a drow. So you you get the disadvantage on your attacks and stuff. Now, they have a built-in way around that. Uh, Obviously, if they turn on their their, um, Bloodhunter right that does the typed damage they lose uh they immediately their hit point maximum goes down so they can't heal back up to their natural maximum so their only way around this at this point is to have temporary hit points right so you can have somebody that's next to you cast like what is it aid i think or or false life there's there's a spell that'll give you temporary hit points yeah You, you can do that and then it goes away or you bite someone and drink their blood and then all of a sudden your weakness goes away. <laughs> you know? And so the, the, the flavor idea is it gives the player a reason to do that thing that they might not want necessarily to do because it's it evil. To, it has to be a choice. Right. Player agency. Right. You know, right. always player agency. But make it tempting, you know? And, yeah. And that's that's another place where I think because a lot of times when we talk about game design, we look at it in terms of numbers. But I think you can add some more wiggle. And I think this is a, a way in which uh, this can be applied very easily to an Eberron situation. You can add wiggle when you're looking at uh, adding in that chain, that, that uh, choice, that challenge. That, okay, I can do this, but it's going to come at X price. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, that was something when we were working on the Wandslingers, uh, the Wandslingers guide, looking at, okay, what can, what are the benefits versus the costs? Like, you know, the fighter subclass that I built and I am looking at tweaking it a little bit, but the way, the way it's built right now is you get two cantrips and one spell that, you know, once you take this fight, the Wandslinger subclass. Um, you can cast any spell that you know that without using a material component um, as long as you have your wand unless that component is consumed. So it makes it slightly better than an arcane focus. Okay. Because an arcane focus, if it's got a component cost, you have to have it. But this only only ones you have to consume. So I've had some people like, well, that's broken. What if you're playing a, you know, a cleric and you want to resurrect some well you still need the the diamond that's you know a thousand really expensive really big diamond right like it doesn't completely wipe it out it just wipes out ones that aren't consumed yeah you know but i i haven't played it i haven't played a character that's a 
16th level wizard, fourth level fighter that's got the one slinger. You know what I mean? Like, I don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, and it's really hard. I mean, it, it, I know there are a lot of people on the internet that complain about DMs Guild stuff and how, you know, balance and it's not balanced and blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? We don't have D&D next. Right. We don't have Unearthed Arcana. Right. I mean, we have we have to do the best we can with what we've got. And if anything, I don't know of a single creator in the community that we've managed to build on social media that doesn't sweat up to high heaven. Like, oh my, is this balanced? Right. If anything, we err on the side of lame. Yeah. Than we do to the side of awesome. Yeah. Usually, you'll find things that are that are running a little on the low side of power. Yeah, I mean, it's like, like it, it, this. That we we deliberately built this artificer archetype, and I'm going to keep harping on it because I'm it's one of the, I, I'm terrible, terrible at subclasses and feats and stuff like that. Okay, because I nerf them so badly. And that's in <laughs> that's in Encounters in the Savage Jungles, right? Uh, no, no, that's in Raiders of the Lost Tomb. Right, I'm going to bring that up and pop the link and. Yeah, that's in Raiders of the Lost Tomb. That was a pretty massive collab. Okay. Uh, but yeah, basically, I pulled. That was my sole contribution to that collaboration was that archetype. But we sweated over that, and you know, it's it's an artificer. It's squishy. Doesn't have a whole lot of hit points, and really, all it can it has two things going for it. It's um, the ability to, to make improvised things. Right. Like the blowgun with which it delivers its, you deliver your toxins, and your mechanical servant. You know that it's like the the iron, what's it? The iron doggy that follows you around when you're playing an artificer in DDO. Right. You know, it, iron it, defender. It, yeah, your iron defender. It's there to defend you when things go wrong. So you could tell us to attack something. Um, but yeah, it that's what you got. You got an extra body in combat, and you have the ability to inflict um, conditions on foes. Other than that, there's not a whole lot you can do. Right. You know? So it's balanced to the lame side of awesome. Well, and I think, too, like uh, another place where another layer of balance that. Um, that uh, people maybe neglect sometimes when they're designing is the idea of being really good at one thing. And the yeah. best official subclass I've seen for that uh, is by far um, the invest or the inquisitive. Yeah. It's in Xanath Cause they're just, you, you you're not going to sneak up on that dude. No. You're not going to get no. one by him. Like that's right. not going to happen. You know what I mean? Like they're insanely good at that thing. Not that great at anything else, you know. Yeah. Honest <laughs> so, to God, not no. And I personally love builds that are um, centered on being outside of combat stuff. Yeah, that's where that's where I tend to live. Um, you know, I I know that for my players, I know that on this stream, it has bothered players. Like, when's the last time we swung a fucking sword? Can we just hit something, please? Um, you know, because I am very much like, all right, story, 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 story. Oh, yeah, beat up that bad guy. I guess we're here to do that. You know, um, it, you know? <laughs> I, used to make, I used to make a habit back when I was young and a jerk of, you know, 
building super hyper uh, focused um, fighting builds who were useless, useless as a condom dispenser in the Vatican at anything outside of combat. I built I built a Cavalier twenty years ago. I don't know if you remember the AD&D Cavalier. Oh, no. My, my, out of the Unearthed Arcana book. The only thing they're good at is mounted combat. Okay. You put them on a horse, you put a lance in their hands, and they will go through anything. Get them to upper levels and let them you know, have a mount that flies. Yeah. Give them a dragon lance and a, and a dragon ride. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. Well, Sir B. Chicken Caesar um, was... Dumb as a bag of hammers and just rude and pompous and, you know, like Anu, but not as pretty. Like without the charm? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like Anu without the charm. But, you know, used to just get the rest of the party into trouble. Right. Because one of the, one of the focus, one of the things that you had to do as a cavalier in first edition, if there was an intelligent creature across the battlefield from you, you had to fight it. Okay. You could choose not to, but you stood a chance of losing all of your cavalier abilities. Really? Okay. Because, yeah, it's, it's dishonorable. It's cowardly to run away from a fight. So if you're third level and there's a red dragon, guess what? Visor's down, lance is couched, and you charge. So they tend not to live very long. Right. <laughs> but... You know, so if, if you're, like, coming up on the city gates and there's the guard there and he's being really rude, well, you know, the gauntleted fist clouts the guard to the side of the head. Right. I, and the next thing you know, we're getting arrested. That you have to, I think you have to be creative with all... I, I do love the out-of-combat-type out builds. Like, Gurius is not very good in combat or wasn't until he got all of his toys. Right, yeah, I mean, and his... He brings stuff to the party now, uh, for sure, in a fight that he maybe didn't before, even if he lost his magic items, but I think if, like, if he got hit with a disenchant or something like that, he'd be up shit creek in the middle of a fight. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I can viciously yeah. mock you. <laughs> Until I can get back to Stormreach and buy more poison. Right, yeah. Um, I mean, but, but hey, look, there's a lich. Where's your poison now? Right, right, um, exactly. You wouldn't do that, no. No, I wouldn't do that. I'm, I'm too kind of a GM for that. And no. your sunblade just went, <laughs> your lightsaber just lost its battery. Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but, and again, that's, that's kind of a build. Um, that right there, though, brings up another example of, of, of building logic, right? Like, um, you guys are, I assume this is fairly common, largely by, because of my own biases. I tend to run campaigns where the players are somebody special. For whatever reason, you're not just the run-of-the-mill adventurers that are going out. You're touched by destiny. You're touched by fate. Your shit's epic. There's epic yeah. shit happening, right? Um, and that's very Always true. That's the way to go about it, yeah. Right, and that's very true in this campaign. Not that there's anything wrong with campaigns where it's just we're dudes that go into dungeons and take shit. That's great. I'm not dissing that level. It's just not where I tend to run things. Um, you know, hence... You've got. It's not my game either. Right. It's not. If I if I want that, I'll pull the bo the Munchkin boxes out. Right. 
Right. It's, yeah. This is designed to be epic heroic adventure. Um, you know, so you've got a character who turns out is a dragon. Uh, you got a character who is, at the very least, he's convinced that he is the rightful heir to the throne of Seer. They <laughs> all are, though. They all are. Let me let me pull a quote from Gurius's Guide to Stormreach. Sure, absolutely. Which I look let forward. Me... I, I have uh, like an advanced like check it out copy uh, that I look forward to I delving bet. into this weekend. I've been adding stuff to it, so I'm going to send you another one. Cool. But, yeah, um, I go through it by the different wards. And under the cross ward, uh, Danil's Pride is a neighborhood in cross ward that is um, basically where the people, where sirens ride, live. And Gurius's advice for Danil's Pride is avoid Danil's Pride. It is overrun with penniless refugees from Sire who put on airs. They all think they're the heir to the to the Siren throne, and their petty intrigues are both tiresome and dangerous. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> that is what Gurius thinks of Sire and Sirens. Yeah, I mean that's fair. That's a fair assessment. I mean he's met one. Right there you go. Get well, Alina. <laughs> Precisely, precisely. But yeah, I mean, um, but but there's but there's this there's this air and aura of of fate. So you so you want to be special and you want to have special things, and sometimes that means special fights. And I've already thrown you guys into situations where if you didn't have those magic items to fall back on, it'd have been your ass. Oh um, yeah, you know. But oh, yeah. but it's a lot cooler in my mind it's a lot cooler for you with your magic items doing the extra cool shit your magic items let you do to take down this cadaver collector than it would have been if you guys would have all been armed with just your standard starting equipment fighting a particularly aggravated Warforged. Not that that's not fun, because we did that. We did that session one. That's yeah. the other, but that, and that's the other thing, right? We did that session one. We yeah. have to build, you know... <laughs> There's got to be something else to go to. We did. I mean, Gurish is going to get the reputation of being some kind of racist, <laughs> warforged thing. Gonna? Um, <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, you guys have you guys have had some. I mean, though to be fair, you guys have had some very pleasant interactions with some of the warforged too. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. The policeman was was very nice. Yeah, Constable Grimjaw. Um, As was the orderly in. Uh, the hospital with um, Anu's cousin. I, I I talked about this on Twitter a little bit. I don't like the word favorite because it's I it, it 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 changes it. Um, you know, it's it's enjoyment is a hard thing to quantify. You know what I mean? Having said that, though, that Warforged Orderly is one of my favorite NPCs I've ever run. Just because I think it's I think it's fucking hysterical that like this Ed two hundred nine is like now. Like changing diapers and shit, you know what I mean? Like, to me, that's just... yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and that's you know, speaking of cool shit about Eberron, what a cool theme to explore, right? Like, um, not only do you have these veterans, right? Because most of the characters, excepting elves, um, most of your playable races will have probably, will at least have been able to have fought in the war and will have had the war going on their entire lives. Oh yeah, I've never lived in a world that's uh, that's not under war until now, 
So you yeah, got, certainly, certainly touched by it. Jeez, I got got dark in here. Yeah, did the, the, the sun move? The sun went in. Let me see if this light will make any difference. Excellent. Or if it'll just. No, that's yeah, it, not so it's bad. It's not so bad. Um, so yeah, you've got people who've lived with war their whole lives, and then you've got the warforged who literally have lived with war their whole lives. That's their purpose. And yeah. then now there's no war, so what do you do? Right. Um, and to me, there's a lot of really cool, um, really cool uh, opportunities in there, and especially with the uh, with those Warforged characters. How do you fit them into this into this peaceful world? What do you explore? What do you look at? Um, you know, if I was going to play a Warforged, I might build one that is very much a combat build and then put them in a very non-combative occupation. Um, you know, or I might take one that was once a, um, you know, a combat medic or something like that. Sure. But maybe House Jurasco doesn't, you know, maybe the only work he can get is at a bouncer at a tavern. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm not made for this. Why do you... And that's one, that that's one of the places where Eberron really um, gets gritty because there's that same sort of intersectionality. You, you, can pull, like, you can pull it straight from the modern day. Right. I mean, you've got, we've got how many broken soldiers trying to sort out their lives after coming home from war. Right. And, you know, what do they do? Right. It. Some of them go into business for themselves and do all kinds of cool and happy things. Um, some of them live in a cardboard box. What in you know, Eberron, especially with the Warforge, can shine a wonderful light on that. Well, and exam uh, and you can examine ideas of. I mean, we like to we like to play as as a big fun. Yeah, we're having a good time killing monsters type thing. But you can go real serious and start examining like how does PTSD affect them. How does, yeah. P, how does PTSD affect a sentient creature who has never known anything but war? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Oh, Ebon1313 on Twitch. Exactly. Yeah. Coming home from war to a world that doesn't have a place for you anymore. It, it's a thing. I mean, it, sure. it's a terrible thing. And it, it's, it, this is, this is what one of the things I, I think, a lot of times, tabletop RPGs can take themselves too seriously, but I think at the same time, tabletop RPGs can be a little too flippant. Right. And I think it's I think it can be interesting. I, I deliberately didn't use the word fun, though I was about to. Right. It can be interesting and rewarding to explore some of these concepts like that. You know, it, it Especially, this is why Eberron really intrigues me, especially the Warforged, because here is an entire, as Travis said, you, as you said, Travis, it, it's an entire race that it, the only purpose they have is as soldiers, one way or the other. Right. Whether you're a combat medic or a rifleman in the Marine Corps, you're still a Marine. Right. You know, um, it... <laughs> And how that works, how that affects them, is something that can that we can examine in Eberron that you can't really examine in any other published D and D setting of which I'm aware. Right. Yeah, that's not a thing in the Forgotten Realms. It's not. I and mean, it could be if you wanted, because it, according to Skag, you had the 
the war between Shade and Cormir and Sembia and all that around the around the Sea of Fallen Stars that resulted in Shade falling on Mithdranor. But it's not as integral to the Forgotten Realms story. Right. Well, and it's also um, where where it's slightly different um, and an interesting way to explore it that you wouldn't be able to do in the in the Forgotten Realms is the fact that it's everywhere. It's 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 you you don't have to go dig for this one instance, and everywhere you travel, you're going to you're going to see the footprint of it. You know yeah. what I mean? Because if you're a, yeah. if you're a veteran of the war from Cormir and you head over to the Sword Coast, you're not going to have a perpetual reminder that that war was there, aside from the ones you're carrying with you. Precisely. Um, you know what I mean? Whereas not only do you have the scars of war that you're carrying on Eberron, but everywhere you go, they're there. There's no yep. there's no getting away from it. You can yep. maybe go into the wilds of Zendrik and maybe get away from it, but every time you cross paths with a Warforged, you're going to be reminded that, yeah. oh, right, our entire planet almost tore itself apart. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, yeah, exactly right. And you exactly can play... Right. And you can play that two ways, and, I don't, and you mix them up. I don't think there's any wrong way to do it, it's, as long as you're not being disrespectful to the ideas, right? Yeah. You know, don't be disrespectful to the idea of PTSD is not funny. No. Um, but a soldier trying to be an orderly or a cook, you know, a soldier who is a front line, like I, I kill my enemy soldier, coming back to be yeah. like a short order cook, you know, or open a coffee shop or something like that. Oh, yeah, that, that, that can be really funny. But there's that... Well, I forget the Steven Seagal movie. That oh, Under Siege? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just a cook. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. You know, you, like, that, that's a trope you can play. Right, right. And it, it can be really funny, but it can also be really poignant and touching and serious, and I think it should be. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe it's my own life experience talking there, but I, I think, it. I think like, as you say, you have to be careful with it, and I, I think you should examine all elements of it. Now, damn it, I wish I'd have played that Warforged Artificer that I was going to in the beginning. <laughs> well, we can arrange a change of character. I'm just... <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, like, and, and you can jump back and forth between both. Um, you know, I talked to, uh, or I talked to, I, I, I have been doing some work for the Storyteller's Vault, which is the... Um, you know, White Wolf equivalent of the DMs Guild. And one of the most popular products I ever did up, up there was a book called Clan Book Nahima. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the World of Darkness, um, vampires have different clans, and each clan has like a, a sort of archetypical personality, but they also have a weakness that's inherent in their blood. Um, the Malkavian clan are all insane. Um, oh, mad as a box of frogs. Yeah, they all have yeah. a mental illness of some sort. And you can play that for for the lulls, I guess, if you and a lot of people do, and whether it's right or not. But um, Clan Book Nehemiah is basically short story long. It's an offshoot of the Malkavians. And it discusses, you know, I, I put a lot of work and a lot of thought into it because as somebody who deals with mental illness and has a family that deals with mental illness, it's an issue that's close to my heart. Um, you know, so I put some thoughts in there of um, how to really tackle that. And I'm not saying you can't examine the funny parts of something like that, 
I'm not saying you can't examine the funny parts of, you know, the experience of a soldier coming home. You can. Yeah. But if you, but it's maintaining that base respect of it and being yeah. aware that it's not it's not something you turn on for the laughs. It's something that's there, you know. Um, and I think you can I think you you can do it, but you got to navigate carefully. And also, um, while I'm sitting here giving unsolicited DMing advice, <laughs> I had an experience um, that I it fucked with me as, as a person DMing. Um, I was running, when I did the show of She Kills Monsters, I got the whole cast together to play a game of Dungeons and Dragons. And, because I wanted them to know what it was like. And so we ran a little, little bit, I think it was from the Lost Mind of Fandelver, actually. Just ran a little bit from that. But they were, uh, because there were so many of them, I was like, okay, well you guys are a caravan that's taking these goods. Um, you know, and they saw a horse down in the middle of the road and, you know, it was a goblin ambush. And I didn't think about the fact that one of the players was a Iraq vet who Mm -hmm. like really started like having a difficult time, you know, (laughs) as he's like, this is how we need to handle the situation is getting way more emotional than I would have expected. And then I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, this is like literally something he's been so being aware of your players and respectful of your players histories. Uh, just a good just a there's a free DM tip there. I, you know? I, put, <laughs> I put that in uh, my uh, you, know, you can try the how the how to be a better DM tips on how to be a better DM thing. That was my first guild product. That was one of the things I added to uh, one of the later editions because it it became important when I started getting more involved in the in the gamer community online and hearing stories that especially women would tell about you know they're sitting down with all of these dude bros and they're all of a sudden the rape jokes are coming and stuff like that and you know you, you got to be careful you know and it's that just gonna reiterate what you just said I mean you got to be cognizant of who your players are and how what you're what you're throwing at them in the game can impact them. That's really super important. Well, that's where tools like the X card. I talk about that, and and just about any product I do that's that I can perceive a remote possibility that somebody would be upset by the material. Um, I put in a little sidebar where I talk about the the X card, which you know basically, you know you you can have this card that you can show or tap or just say I'd like to use my X card and it just oh, pull, yeah. stops play. You uh, pull out the element that's causing a problem, fade to black, whatever you got to do to, to make that oh, comfortable yeah. situation and then move forward again. And I, if I would have had that tool at my disposal and used it during that campaign, maybe my actor who was also a veteran would have been able to say, Oh, this is affecting me, <laughs> you know, but like I, he was already pretty upset by the time yeah. I clocked what was going on, you know, um, that, that's a shame that, that, you know, it, that, that, that is, I'm sorry you had that experience. Well, you know, I mean, I'm sorry he had that experience. Yeah. Um, it's a lot more, you know, yeah. he, he got, probably, he was affected probably by more accurate wish from me right. as well. <laughs> but, you know, but afterward we talked about it and he was like, no, I really love the game. Um, and 
I feel, he was like, I feel embarrassed that I reacted the way I did. And I was like, well, you shouldn't. I mean, you have literally were trained and your life depended on you reacting the way that you did. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, and he was really just like insistent on like, we have to do these tactical things and stuff. I mean, and it was fascinating to watch as somebody who's never actually, you know, taking away the emotional stuff, sitting back and observing somebody who's never, I, I never served. I wouldn't, I don't know what the fuck happens in basic training. You know, uh, Bill Murray says smart ass shit and does a lot of push ups. That's what I know about fucking basic training. Okay. <laughs> That's one of the remarkable, remarkably accurate parts of that film. <laughs> Stripes? Doing, doing push ups whenever you, you mouth off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably the accurate part of the film. Um, yeah. We never had a dance routine. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so being able to observe how that like in real time, how that training comes to the forefront, um, it was, I guess the unintended benefit of that situation happening. I hate to put well, it that way. Let me tell you the most but, challenging as a DM, the most challenging shit I ever had to put up with. Cause I played the whole time I was in, I was active service, active duty. We played the whole damn time and trying to develop a combat encounter Right, that's, son of a bitch. <laughs> it's not going to like when upset all of somebody. your players are also highly trained infantry. <laughs> oh yeah, that okay. too. Yeah, guess that ambush isn't going to work. <laughs> yeah, how do I outsmart? Um, how do I? Outsmart yeah, exactly. Me? Yeah, exactly. How do I just call artillery fire on these assholes and kill them from space? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that would be that would be an interesting. Um, yeah, highly be, specialized, knowledgeable people. <laughs> that'd be an interesting game. I, I think I would have a lot of fun running a game that was that was that that was like, you know, here's five dudes that really know uh, or girls or whatever, you know. Um, yeah, all points in between and outside of five people who have combat experience. Yeah, um, would yeah. be a fun, like, and you know, when I was in high school, very different. I'm, in case anyone thinks I'm conflating these two things, I'm not. I'm just saying. Uh, when I was in high school, I would run World of Darkness campaigns uh, that involved some people who were affiliated with certain groups that tended to, uh, you know, have signs and colors and things of those lines. Um, you know, <laughs> and when you're running a similar situation with. Uh, Urban combat, I guess you could say. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I know from this, this, and this that this is likely to, to be the way this is going to go down. This is how I would handle the situation. Da, da, da. Um, so that. Then you just kind of go. But again, yeah. still a very different beast than somebody who's got like formal combat training. Um, you know, <laughs> it's, <laughs> I, yeah, I having having served with some some cats who uh, were given a choice of uh, you can either take off that bandana or you know sign up um their their previous their, their experience prior to the military was actually quite useful i would imagine so i would imagine so yeah their situational awareness was something to behold oh yeah because you gotta because you gotta be yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it, it is a very particular skill set <laughs> well and i just you know just living in um, the demilitarized zone that is Rockford, Illinois, uh, <laughs> y 
you, you learn to notice stuff. And I'm not a particularly perceptive person. We will be riding in the car all the time. My wife's pointing out shit that's going on around me, and I'm like, what? Like, huh? But, oh, yeah. you know, but if somebody walks into a room I'm in um, and they look agitated or look, uh, look like they're scanning the room, look like something's going to go down, I usually cop to that pretty quick. I'm like, oh, well, that's... That doesn't look right. That makes much better since it tingle. You know? I drive off into the, the ditch. So, oh, look, ponies. <laughs> well, My wife is like, God damn it. Well, and, and she drives too. So I guess maybe that's why she's paying closer attention. And she's, you know. <laughs> but I just, if I'm in a car and I'm not operating it, my I am a hundred places besides that car. Oh, I'm yeah. in Eberron. Yeah. I'm in the Forgotten Realms. I'm in, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm looking at squirrels. Yeah. Um, I'm all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, having said all that, I, I had said something about we were going to go short today, and it's basically noon. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so it is. Uh, but that's fine. So, a uh, couple things I do want to touch base on. Obviously, up in the chat, if you're watching live, scroll up. Otherwise, uh, in the description on this video. Um, on YouTube and the Twitch archive, we'll have the links to the various products that Bob and I talked about today. Um, so, what which one? What was the name of the one that dropped today? Bob? That was spells and formulae. All right, and that's um, on the DMs Guild. That's brand that's new. That's on the Guild right now. I can put a link in chat. Can I put a link in chat? For you that? should be able. To, oh no, I bet you can't. Um, uh, but okay. it's it's in there. Um, okay. And I'll actually, I'll re-grab it. Spells and formulae. Um, I'm going to repost it because I'm that kind of dude. Oh, there it is. Yeah, I see it. I just scrolled up. And magical. then um, I need to see about getting you guys admin privileges to put links in there. But also uh, the Wandslinger's Guide for Eberron, that just hit silver. And I think your other one, your uh, Magical Things of Eberron just hit copper, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Yeah, it's, so. it, it's, it's hit copper and it's pushing its way towards silver, so... I've never, I've never had something, a solo work of mine, go copper that fast. Yeah, no, it was a couple days, right? Yeah, I put it up on a Friday and I think Wednesday. Weird. It, uh, Wednesday morning I woke up and it was copper, so I'm not going to complain. Nice. I'm um, glad people are enjoying it. No, I was I was gobsmacked at how fast the Wandslinger's Guide hit copper. It was like a it's day. It's almost or as though there's a new campaign setting on the DMs Guild. Yeah, I know it's crazy, and people yeah. are just hungry for it. Yeah. Like I said, I, I know there was. I know we're trying to wrap this up, and I know, but I, I have to say this every time I get the fucking opportunity. I know there were some people among the DMs Guild creator community that were upset about the way this rollout happened. I just can't wrap my fucking lobes around why. Um, you know what I mean? Because like all of a sudden we're getting all this new traffic to the guild. I hope they roll out every goddamn setting that they have like this. You know, give us a new hardcover for every magic setting for the next 10 years. Right? So you get the cardboard crack players to, to buy that stuff and come over and, and throw some dice with us. You're welcome. Yeah. You're listen. welcome here. Come in. Um, and then Fine roll out, you know, give us birth. I'll, I'll, I'll write birthright supplements. <laughs> and, every, and the whole internet knows how I feel about that setting. Um, <laughs> You know, just oh, roll them out at the guild first. Every one of them. <laughs> Birthright. Yeah. 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 No. It's, but uh, it's like a more boring Greyhawk. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, shade. D. 
but uh, but yeah, um, we were in the process trying to wrap things up. <sighs> yeah, it, it's it's a thing that happens. Yeah. Um, so yeah, go check that stuff out. Oh, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube or on Twitch, we're on iTunes now. So you can go download this stuff on, on the iTunes and everywhere else where you get quality podcasts. If you're listening on iTunes, we do this live every Friday at 10 in the morning, as long as our Romanian people aren't like on death's door. So um, Alina, don't fall off any more dragons this week. Don't fight any more bikers. Um, <laughs> Mike, take your fucking antibiotics and sleep. Yeah. Do those two things. And hopefully, hopefully next week we'll be here. Uh, it's episode 13 is of season two next week. So This is why it's taken us three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to crack episode 13 out. We just can't because it's 13. <laughs> well, it was no. going to be 11. Then it was going to be 12. So now we're up to 13. Maybe it'll be lucky for us this time. No, um, let's hope. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, please, if you're uh, watching in any of those locations uh make sure you subscribe so you can get the new stuff follow so that you can you can leave reviews on itunes as well and those are always good yeah reviews would be awesome reviews for anything we ever do ever are highly encouraged um you know what um uh uh james and tricasso does in tabletop babble he reads out he selects a five-star review every podcast and reads it I will do that. You leave us a, a five-star review. I'll read it right here. It doesn't in, matter in what it says. It can say things like, ah, ha, 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 I just wanted you to say my name live on the podcast. <laughs> well, James and Tricasso has a number of brilliant ideas that I would love to steal. That's going to be one of them. So, there you go. Um, <laughs> so we will steal that idea. Uh, also, uh, Extreme Drowis is also on there. Um, I want to make sure if you've got... Twitch Prime, or if you got Amazon Prime, you have Twitch Prime. So you get one free Prime sub a month. I would love to be your free sub. If you don't, subbing is like $4.95. Either way, those help immensely. If you think you're subscribed to this channel on Twitch, double check because it automatically shuts off your subscription at the end of the month. I don't know why it does that. Um, they need to fix that. But uh, that's just how Twitch works. Happens to everybody, even Geek and Sundry. So... Um, yeah. No. No. <laughs> there's a there's a video you can find of Marisha talking about it, like that they run during the breaks. It's hilarious. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, so please consider subscribing, helping us continue to make this content. Uh, I'm on Patreon. Just look up my name, Travis Leg, on Patreon. Uh, Patreon money goes directly into funding this this type of stuff, and you get some extra perks. Get to see some behind the scenes stuff and more. Yeah. Um, you can find more of Bob's stuff at r-p-davis.com, right? Is that right? That's it. Um, and then, uh, obviously, find us on the Guild. I will be back here Monday. I'm talking to Zach Ball, who does a bunch of stuff for the Storytellers Vault. I'm uh, talking to him on the DMs Guild. Um, I'll be pimping out uh, the new Mage stuff I'm working on. I have a new... They just unlocked Mage the Ascension, which anybody who, like has known me for a long time knows that's like that's my jam for white wolf so uh i have a book up that's for sorcerer's crusade and i'm working on a couple of modern supplements right now um those will all be up soon i think that's everything anything any any final thoughts bob no sir thanks for thanks for letting me hang out it's thanks awesome. for hanging out i'm glad we were able to do something fun with the time and i really all kidding aside alina uh take good drugs and get lots of rest and i hope your leg feels better 
Um, yes, and absolutely. I hope the surgery is not too bad. Like she has to have surgery on her lower leg. That's up. Um, Three places. Yeah. She's going to have fun in airports for a long, long time. Yeah. See if they can install like a shotgun or something. You know? Oh, that'd Somebody be awesome. Get a Rose McGowan on. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, on that note, we're going to wrap things up and we'll uh, see you all hopefully next week. Have a good one.